Well, good morning. I am so, so glad to be with you again today. I hope that you had a great week. We had a little taste of fall. I don't know if you noticed it. Still dry, but uh, it was nice to get the weather. Um, I don't know what caused that, but today the birds just sound a little louder. I don't know. Probably I'm paying attention to it. Um, you know, I talked about my fever with fishing, so what I did is I got up early this morning and I went. <laughs> so I came, from, I came from the boat ramp. I just took my fishing pole out of the back and fished a little bit down there uh, on my way. I'd go ahead and get the fever out so that we could get together. I know that, uh, you know, we all um, had a, if you're a Tennessee fan, you, you know, you might not have had a great day yesterday. Um, I was telling somebody that uh, I've been through the whole process, you know, I've been hot, I've been cold, I am now, I know what lukewarm feels like with Tennessee, so I, I, yesterday it, it didn't, I didn't even experience it, it just kind of happened in front of me on the television and I, nothing happened, so I, I didn't even, I'm just kind of numb uh, to it, so I'm, I'm learning all about that. Um, I'm not sure. I, I know I'm, I'm taking you guys down some uh, memory lanes here the last couple of weeks, but uh, I uh, talked a little bit about Westerns last week. I, I'm curious if you have ever uh, watched another thing that I used to enjoy as a kid was the, uh, watching the Andy Griffith show. Uh, I'm sure you all remember that show and remember all the great things about it. I know that um, uh, there have even been studies uh, like people try to put Bible studies together using the Andy Griffith show. It might be a little too far for my taste, but uh, there are a lot of good lessons to learn in there. There's a lot about life that uh, goes down in that uh, storyline. I, I can tell you one of the ones I was remembering as I was preparing this week for you all is uh, um, the story of where Opie uh, interacts with a bully. I don't know if you ever remember this one, but he's having a hard time at school. There's a kid who pulls his buddies together, and he um, and he starts picking on Opie, and Opie starts to come home. He's telling Aunt B about it. Uh, Andy finds out about it, and so Andy sits down with him. They start talking about how to deal with it. A few days go by. Barney gives his advice, which is terrible. And then, uh, you know, essentially what ends up happening is uh, he's encouraged to kind of stand up to this guy and get this over with. And uh, if you know anything about that great showdown on the playground or at the park, um, the bully kind of, uh, in that moment, you've seen this, I, I think you remember this, he draws that line in the sand and he says, oh yeah, step across this line. Of course, Opie, you know, he's got that face. Now, was, was he not the cutest kid? Anyway, um, he's got that fist going and he's holding that and uh, all of a sudden he steps across that line and th that kid says, oh yeah, step into the, and draws a circle. He says, step into this circle. And then Opie's standing there, got that little face going. He just steps inside that circle. All of a sudden, the pressure's on. Then that moment comes where um, he says, okay, to knock this stick off my shoulder. You remember this? So he knocks the stick off his shoulder, and all of a sudden, it's over, right? The bully has been challenged. And so, as you know how the story goes, uh, it uh, ends up with Opie not having to deal with him anymore, and all of a sudden the bully is, is cowered down, and everything is back to normal in Mayberry. Um, and, and a lot of times we see that relationship, and it, if, when you see a relationship with a bully and someone who's being picked on, uh, the thing that ends it usually is they become peers. Uh, you know, what ended up with Opie was uh, he kind of challenged the guy to say, hey, listen, you and I are equals. Um, you know, uh, we can't 
we don't have to battle anymore. We're not going to battle anymore. In fact, if you put yourself over me, I'm going to challenge you to show you that I'm an equal. Now, if you know anything about East Tennessee, we don't like to get picked on around here. Um, we like to, you know, we're kind of independent. That's kind of a, a defining characteristic of a, of a Tennessean. You know, we, we don't like people to think that there's something. Um, you, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's been the hardest thing raising kids. It's because, especially daughters, um, you know, when they tell me about the things that go on with girls, it, it's a lot more complex than boys. You know, uh, I remember when I would fight, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I did fight. Um, but when I would fight with kids, you know, we would wrestle around, you know, one of us would scratch the other one or punch each other in the nose or something like that. And then, you know, it, it's 20, 30 minutes later, we're, we're playing football together. You know, uh, it's kind of, it makes its progress where what I'm watching in the middle school world is much more complicated and calculated. It's more like, uh, I could imagine like if you went to the situation room in the White House and they were calculating all the details. There's lots of more variables in that relationship that girls deal with. Uh, but the one truth that is always the same when conflicts happen um, is that there is a moment where one person feels over the other one and the other person challenges that. Now, in those situations, uh, in a lot of ways, it's necessary for people to see the value of another person to be able to have that moment where it's like, hey, you will not be able to do this. It's a great thing for those kind of things to happen. But, but I want to ask you, uh, what, what happens when the person you feel like is over you is God? And all of a sudden, you don't like the way he's treating you or the situation. How do you respond? Now, we're, very, we're, we're really, it's, it's a good thing for us that we don't have a lot of moments where God, uh, in fact, draws lines in the sand um, where we have to step across. But there are moments in life where I would tell you, if you were honest and I was honest, I think that when things happen in our life, sometimes we want to challenge him as if we are a peer. Sometimes we look at what God's doing in our own life. We look at what God's doing in our spiritual life. We look at what God's doing in the world. Uh, we may even see the way other people have treated us. And then we turn and in a way we challenge God. And today what I want us to look at is a psalm. I, I will tell you, I love the psalms because there is just so much feeling and honesty in them. Uh, if there is anything we need in a church life is we get really comfortable with being okay because that's what we want to be. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be. And so, um, you know, it, 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 I don't think it is a, a malicious plan for us to put on faces when we come to church. I think it's just that, gosh, if we all really did tell everybody how we feel about everything, this would really wear stuff down. So let's all just kind of say, hey, today we've got it all together today. Um, and so that happens to us, right? Um, but life's a little more complicated than that. In fact, uh, you know, relationships are complicated. And uh, we have scars in our life of things that happen that we wish they wouldn't have happened the way they did. We might feel like we were dealt a different set of cards than everybody else when it comes to our life, the way we were born. Um, our physical health, things that we're struggling with, things that we might just say to ourselves, you know what, I'm not quite sure why God gave me this. 
And when you get to situations like that, it, it is really comforting to know that you are not alone. Um, and the Psalms are a great picture of how people deal with moments that are just bigger than they are. Um, and so today's Psalm, I, I want us to talk about Psalm 131. I want you to turn there if you've got your Bible. I want to look at this, but this is a Psalm of David. It's called a Psalm of Ascent. Um, now, um, there's a lot of tradition around why he was writing this psalm, but here's what we do know about it. What we do know is that in this moment, in this situation, something has gone on in David's life where he's trying to figure out how do I relate to God in all his greatness and grandeur and his, how amazing he is. And we get this in three verses in fact this psalm is just three verses it is a precious gift i have gone back to this psalm if i i will tell you in my own life there have been more than one occasion where i have said to myself you blew it god <laughs> i wish you would have consulted me i had a better plan um and i end up back at this psalm because it is good and it gives us a real process for how we relate to God who is ultimately bigger than us, that we are not peers with, but loves us. And so let's look at Psalm 131. I'm just going to read verse 1 because there's so much in verse 1. We could hang out there all day and I could come back and tell you more about it next week because it is amazing. But Psalm 131 verse 1, here is the statement out of the gate. Three little verses. Here's what he says. O Lord... My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I want you to look at those pieces. There's three pieces to this about how we sometimes relate to God. There's three elements in here that I think are process for us to see what our stance is when we start the process of understanding who God is in the gospel. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. That's the first one. My eyes are not raised too high. That's the second one. And then the third one, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me so let's look at the first one he says my heart is not lifted up now i, I want you to uh, you know we think of the heart the heart is the uh, not the actual muscle that's pumping blood right i mean that's the great thing about a psalm psalm has a poetic element to it he's that he's not talking about he's got a heart condition of some kind um it, what he is saying is that there is this internal challenge inside of him he is feeling like my heart is lifted up how do you lift your heart up well if you know anything about challenging a bully you don't want to challenge a bully like this right i'm gonna get you uh that's not the way you want to do it right what happens right you get up big right throw those shoulders up you know opie was big and tall i mean it, it, could there be anything more primal than that uh, I've been some places in the world, and I have seen wild animals. And when wild animals don't like where you're at, what do they do? They get big. They lift their heart up. That's what they do. 
And so what happens a lot of times when we're trying to relate to God is a lot of times we lift our heart up to say, you know what? I am something. I've got a resume too, God. You know, I've been doing some things. Going to a job interview, you lift your heart up. And those circumstances, it's a good thing. Right? You want to say, hey, listen. I am significant. I'm of value. You're, I'm someone you should listen to. But we have to be real careful when we relate to God that way. And a lot of times when something hard has happened in our life, a lot of times when we are facing something that, um, I, you know, we are mourning some situation or we are in the midst of some sort of relational hurt that we are facing, uh, it is not in our response to do what is secondary later on in this psalm, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, but our almost natural response is, is like a bear standing on a trail somewhere is to stand up as big as we possibly can and raise our heart to say, hey, listen, I'm a big deal. We used to have a saltwater aquarium in my uh, home when I was growing up. My, my uh, dad always talked about having one. And then my mom, trying to surprise him, bought him this giant aquarium, which uh, I, I think when he started cleaning it, he was like, man, I like the idea of having one of these more than I like the idea of, of having one actually in my house. But inside that thing, we, we, we stocked it out, and there was a puffer fish in it. You know anything about these? So their whole life is about trying to prove they're a big deal. I don't know how God made them as the image bearer for what's wrong with us when we relate to God, but you know, there comes a moment when they've said, this is enough, it's time for you to know I'm a big deal. And what they do, and then they just kind of float around. Now, it's not near as impressive as they think it is, right? And it's not near as impressive as we think it is when we challenge God in that same way. And so a lot of times in life, when we're hurting, we raise our heart up. We challenge what's going on. We try to put things back on our terms. And so David is telling us, these are the things he didn't do, which makes me assume these are the things he did do before this. And so we see this first one, right? Raise up your heart, puff up like a puffer fish. Second thing is, he says, my eyes are not raised too high. Now, my dad always told me, look them in the eye. Be a man, look somebody in the eye. And so I always tried to be a person of character, try to do that, try to look somebody in the eye, try to be a person who says, hey, I am a value, I'm someone that you should respect. My heart is high, I'm looking you in the eye, but, but in this sense, I want you to see what has happened. And this is a, a phrase that we see a lot of times in the Bible. In fact, you've heard this word probably in your translation of the word haughty, haughty eyes. You ever heard that? Uh, this phrase actually in Hebrew and some other places is, is, is translated, my eyes are not haughty. Um, now, um, we're not talking about a haughty, which is a phrase that kids use now, to, like somebody looks good. That's not, we're not haughty. You know, my southernness can come out in there. H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. That's what we're talking about. Haughty eyes. Um, and so haughty eyes really is this. 
it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a moment when we are challenging God. Challenging what he's doing. Challenging what he's thinking. Challenging the things that are happening around us. Now, if you had some sort of threat in your life, uh, if you were dealing with a bully in a sense, or you were dealing with an intruder in your home, um, all of these things are natural responses that you would want to have. Uh, I wouldn't choose the puffer fish method, but I'll tell you what I would do. I would definitely say I want to uh, tell you that you will be stopped. There will be an altercation if you were to uh, come at my children or if you were to do these things. Those are, those are good, appropriate things to do. But when we relate those things to God in a spiritual realm, they're not that great. See, a lot of times what happens, in fact, I will tell you, this is the, the part that would identify you as a, uh, an unbeliever or someone who is not um, a uh, follower of Christ, is to have this mentality of where you are on this equal footing with another person. If you've ever bought a house, you know this experience. If you've ever had this experience where you go into those rooms and all the deal has been done, and uh, sometimes... Uh, house buying ha can get snarky, you know, I mean, uh, somebody waits, they wait it out, and if you, uh, we have any real estate people here? Oh my goodness. No, I'm, I'm not going to get on to you about it. I just, I could not imagine doing that all the time with people. Um, you know, you got 48 hours to respond, and they wait till the last minute to fax it in, or they, have, you know, it's just this whole process is so crazy, but when all that's over, guess what happens? Once you settle it all, you go to this title company, you sit in a room, and it's like, now we see each other. You know, you made me fix that window for the home inspection, and here I am. You know, and th there is this moment where you're eye to eye with this other person. A lot of times what we do, in fact, most people see God in that way. That God is, uh, C.S. Lewis called it, God is in the dock. Uh, and that phrase in, in uh, England means to be on trial. God in the dock. He's sitting in the dock. The dock was the description of uh, in the courtroom in England, it was a description of the location you would put the person on trial. And so God would be on, the, on trial or, or even in the witness stand in order to be dealt with. Sometimes we sit down at a table and we challenge God in his plan and we say, you know, God, I need to see uh, what you're thinking right now because this looks like a mess. Go ahead, slide it over. I want to see your proposal, God. What exactly do you want to do with this family of mine? What exactly are you? I mean, I know that you're in control of the downsizing with the company uh, and that you are working your plan and you are always good and all things work together for the good of those who love you according to your purpose for your glory. But your glory right now, it really, it's just not working with my plan. Slide your proposal over God. Haughty eyes, eyes that are lifted up to challenge him. And a lot of times that's the starting point of someone who you want to share the gospel with is for them to understand that they are dealing with the king of the universe, the creator of all things, who is good in all ways, that in his power and his almighty ways, he could crush us all. But he chooses to allow us to live, to know him to have a relationship with him, that the actual breath that we breathe is a 
It is a gift of God's common grace to us that we are able to do this because he is so great and so grand. And the gospel becomes saying, hey, this God you are trying to challenge will ultimately put you down. But he has made a way if you'll just recognize who he is. But a lot of times when things aren't going the way we want them to go, we challenge him. But this is not David. These are not, these are the things David is doing. These are the things he's not, okay? His heart is not lifted up. He's not trying to tell God, I'm a big deal on my own. His eyes are not raised too high. He's not trying to tippy-toe up and challenge God in his face. He's not doing that. And then the last thing we see that he's not doing that oftentimes happens to us is he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I'm not exactly sure who said it, but in my reading one time I heard a phrase. I tried to track it down for you all, but um, somebody said that um, their life has a lot more questions than answers. That's why the answers are, more, are so important. Life has more questions than answers. But that's why the answers are so important. I will tell you the weight of that phrase gets more and more true. It gets heavier and heavier on me the older I get. Because there's a lot of things that happen, especially in ministry. If you've been in pastoral ministry, you see a lot of people's pain very often. You deal with a lot of conflict. A lot of times, you know, the Sunday church life is not near as, as simple as what we actually see the pain in our lives. In fact, most people, to be honest with you, uh, I, I'll tell you another little um, thing with my daughter is my daughter's life. And you can imagine the life of growing up in a home of a minister. It's a tough place to be because you see your dad and um, people can't help but assume that he's spiritual. And then you see him and know that he's uh, flawed and you all of a sudden when the moment comes you you feel like hey this guy's a fake um so there's always these moments where it's like you know i'm going to tell people who you are and you're not perfect i'm not perfect either i'll never be perfect i remember a situation with one of my daughters where i said honey they know they all know <laughs> the secrets out mom and dad are not perfect uh, but there's this moment right where we think that we have it all together, we think that we can make sense of everything, um, and that we have all the answers, but life sometimes crashes in on us, and the truth is uh, we don't have all the answers. Uh, uh, Kim's, and, and I know this is, this is very personal and home to you, but it is to me too, is, is that uh, Kim's mother, when uh, we were dating, she contracted breast cancer. A long, long road for us. Um, and uh, surgeries and treatments and all of the things. She, she was one of the most godly people you'll ever meet in your life. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you ask me why that happened, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I can, I can theologue with the best of them. I can give you... Bible verses, I can 
do those things, but we don't know. We don't know. Right? But there are things we do know, right? And I think that's what David is trying to say. Now, I'm going to tell you about tradition on this psalm. This psalm's tradition is that when David had had his affair with Bathsheba, and if you're familiar with this storyline, obviously, all of the armies are out at battle. He is hanging around as a king. He's already in a location he shouldn't be in. Uh, he is uh, starting this, uh, this wandering into things that he shouldn't wander into as a king where he has moved from uh, being just a common man who's trying to serve God, but all of a sudden he's dealing with this prosperity and wealth and power and all of these things about how he can have anything he wants. Long story short is he has this relationship with Bathsheba. She ends up pregnant. If you know the whole story, what ends up happening is he's like, I'm going to stage the death of her husband. Then I can bring her in. I can rewrite the history of the storyline. He does all of those things. And so what ends up happening, though, and this is the part that we don't ever hear about often, is that ends up Bathsheba gives birth to a child. What happens to that child? That child dies. Now, tradition is tied this, and we don't have reference to this, but tradition has tied this psalm to that moment. Whether that's true or not, man, it fits. And so the three things he doesn't do, he doesn't want his heart to be lifted up. He doesn't go to God and start trying to make a case for why this shouldn't have happened to him. He doesn't try to challenge God by looking God in the eye and saying, listen, I get to have some sort of say in the way you work out your plans. He doesn't do that. And then the last part is, and the part I think is, is so good for us to be able to understand the next step, is he, he gets this mindset, even a posture. If we think about the word posture, the posture he takes is one of humility, who is somebody who's saying, there are things going on that I can't make sense of. There are moments in life where we have questions that God says, I will answer these questions for you on the other side. You all familiar with Corey Tim Boom? You know a little bit about her. Corrie Ten Boom is uh, obviously was somebody during the Holocaust. Uh, she was this spiritual leader. She she wrote the Hiding Place, which is a book talking about the ways that they were to love the Jews in that time and work through that as Christians and just navigating that. She had been through so much trauma and so much pain. I I remember seeing an interview with her one time before she passed away. Uh, it was a recording. She had already gone by the time I saw it, but the interview. Um, the person was saying, how do you make sense of the things that are going on in your life? How do you deal with those things? Uh, You've seen so much pain and struggle and suffering and difficulty and all the atrocities of the world. Thank you, brother. By the way, Paul, I just, I thought, you know, how good God is. You know, you kept making that reference and I think to myself, it's, it's always good. God's making his own appointment, right, of the things we're going to talk about. It's so good when he does that. But um, she's been asked all of this and um, she says, I I see myself, it's so, so spiritually wise. She said, I see myself as just a knot in all of this. Well, you know, it's obvious great bait 
for the person who was interviewing her, a knot? What do you mean by a knot? She said, well, I'm just one little knot in what God's doing. She said, you know, when you make a tapestry, all it is is a bunch of fabric tied in knots. And the person who makes it is tying those knots over and over and over again. And she was explaining that in the, that process that um, when you tie these knots, they don't actually look like anything. It's hard to find the pattern at all. But when you get to the end where all of the knots have been made and the shape has been created, all of a sudden you can hang that tapestry up and you can see this beautiful pattern. You can even see sometimes if somebody's really gifted, you can see the picture that was created. And she said, when I look at my life and I think about all the things that went on, she said, a couple of times I've been tugged a little bit. A couple of times I've been pulled too tight. A couple of times I've not had anything make sense. But here's what I know. There'll come a time in my life, there'll come a moment where I'll see the whole tapestry. You see, what I think David is telling us about our relationship to God is when we finally are able to see who we are in relation to him, there's this whole other side of his love and his grace and his caring that is hard for us uh, to be able to make sense of until we surrender who we are. And these three little verses take us through that journey in David's life and in our own. We're tempted to challenge God, tempted to make our own case for how we ought, to, we ought to be a big deal too in this. We're tempted to say to God, listen, I'd like a little input into what's going on around here. And so we challenge him. We go eye to eye with him in a boardroom somewhere saying, you bring your plan over and I'll give it my edit. Sometimes we challenge God to say, I want, few, I want some more answers about what you're trying to accomplish right now. And we could make a list of things that we see on the news and in the newspaper of things that I would love to have a little more information about what God is doing. But what he says to us is that's not the way that you understand and relate to me because you and I are not peers. There is no line to cross. There is no circle to step into. There is no stick to knock off God's shoulder. The essential truth is that when we finally say, yeah, in this relationship, you are great, grand, providential, and sovereign, and I am not, here's the great part about it. That's when he pours out his love and presence, and we are just filled with this comforting hope that we can't get from anything else. And that's the rest of this. Look what he says. Verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I am telling you, there is so much there that's going on. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Have you ever felt that moment like uh, when you just finally, it, I mean, it's just, there's no progress being made in my own efforts? You ever had that situation where you can be as mad as you want? You can cry as much as you want. You can be as upset as you want, but the truth is nothing's going to change. There's this exhaustion that happens. 
we, you know, with, if you've got little kids, you know that the, uh, you, you can't do this to them now. I don't, I mean, we've, we've changed the way we parent around. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to start preaching on something else. I've, I almost chased a rabbit. But I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful. Uh, I get a little too comfortable down here with you all. Um, but you've ever seen a toddler cried out? Um, I remember thinking what a tragic thing it was before I had children when I would watch a kid cry at the grocery store because their mom told them no. Then I had kids, and I was like, you go, girl. Tell them. <laughs> Teach them. They're not in charge of this place. Tell them. Right? Everything changes, right? There's a, this moment that happens. But, but if you've ever had some, a child go through that process, or if you've ever done it yourself, you don't have to be a kid to go through this, where you have wept yourself into the moment of where you have a calm and quieted soul. Because that kid realizes I can hold my breath, I can kick my feet, I can do all these things, I can scream at the top of my lungs, but what I have realized is I will not receive the candy that I was requesting. Now there's something to be thankful for in that. Because if you ever had a kid get to that moment, you snatch them up, right? And then there's a different relationship with them. It is tender, right? It is loving. That's what David is talking about here. Look what he says in verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within you. Do not miss what is being said. A weaned child. Now, little babies, um, if you have newborns, it, it is all about mama. Mama's home base. Mama's the place for food. She's the place for sustenance. That's where I sleep. It's where my belly gets full. Then I fall asleep on her. That is the whole reason for that relationship. And if you're a dad early on in that process, the whole kid thing isn't that fun because the most... Uh, contributing part you can give is on the other side of that right it's on the diaper side right that's the only place you can really invest that's a different relationship but now what he's saying is i'm not like a newborn baby that's not what he's saying i'm not like a newborn baby i'm weak and helpless that's not what he's saying he says like a weaned child it's in that window because if you're a dad you know that when that breastfeeding thing ends all of a sudden uh, that relationship, you become the fun one. <laughs> Ladies, you know, and that's awful because we, we take advantage of that if we're, if we're smart dads, right? You know, you know, dad can't do that, but look at this toy, right? Um, this child is weaned. The only thing that child is getting from mom is presence. Her presence and her love. That's all she's getting. But that's enough. So David is taking us on this journey. Look, look at this journey he's taking us on. Of all the ways we respond to God when we don't feel like we're getting the things that we want. He says our natural response is to start talking about the things we've done and that we're a big deal. And God says, 
Who are you, old man? Right? Is that not what we see in Scripture? And so that doesn't work. Then we try to sit down and say, you know what? Why don't you let me take a look at the plan? Because it's obvious you're botching this thing without my help. But we quickly realize it's a much more complex storyline than we could ever be a part of. And then we start to dig into things that we know that we can't grasp. And all of a sudden we start to see that we're just one little knot in this tapestry, right? And so then we get his presence. We end up being in a place where we end up with his presence. And if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, you want to know what it means to truly understand the grace and the goodness and the love of God, the thing for you to understand is that there must come a moment in your life where you surrender who you are, you give up the show of trying to be something you cannot be, you give up the idea of being able to make sense of what God is doing in the world, and you say, hey, can I just be with you in the midst of this until you work it all out. Like a weaned child with its mother. When a little kiddo skins their knee, they just want mama to hold them. Just want the presence. And all of a sudden this relationship becomes much more defined that we're not equals with God. But He is good. And He is loving. And He will work it out. We just have to go to Him. So it ends with verse 3. I hope that you see. I hope this becomes a precious psalm in your life too. Because I, I can't, I'm not okay without this psalm. If I did not have this, I would not have made it to this point. I hope that you can have this in your life too when things get difficult. He says, oh Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. That is the definition of hope. I'm not going to try to challenge what's happening right now. That's the start of hope. I'm not going to try to pretend like I have any idea what exactly is going on around me in this situation. I'm going to admit that there are things that are out of my control. But God, I know you're good. And I know you love me. And would you just be with me right now? Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You know what hope is? Hope is that moment. You know, that's what we do when we become believers, right? We hope in the power and the work of Jesus Christ. Trust and hope are such close friends. I mean, they are just, those words are so close to one another. You, when you trust in God, you are trusting that he knows a better way than you do. You're trusting in God that he can do things you can't do. You're trusting in God that he will take care of what needs to be done. There is this moment. And hope is saying that in the past we have seen you, in the present we trust you, in the future we know you've got that too. That's what hope is. Hope is future trust. Trust is sitting in the lap. Hope is saying, you know what? I'll be here again when the time comes. 
And so the one thing that we have on the rest of this world this morning, the one thing you and I have, if we are believers today, is that there's not a question out there that they're asking that you and I aren't asking. And in a lot of those questions, they don't have answers. And a lot of those questions, guess what? We don't have answers either. But we do have some really good answers. And when we live our life based on those answers, we see that they're the most important. So let's run through some things that we can think about in our life. Well, if you're a believer here today and you're dealing with something that you have been hurt by you can lay that down today because god's got it under control he can handle it if there's a burden you're holding on to he can carry it if there's a question you cannot answer he's going to handle it if there is a future that is uncertain he has it there's nothing that we can't face in that. Let's go one step further. If you are dealing with someone around you who does not follow this Jesus you know, know this. They're asking the same questions you ask. And they want the hope that you have. You want to share your faith with someone? Don't memorize an outline of things that you say that are empty and hollow and cardboard. What you do is you say, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to tell you something. I have a king who is in charge of these things, and he has made a way for me to have peace in the midst of difficult times. And when I forget that, I lose that peace. But, oh, I will tell you, when I sit on that lap, it is a great place to be. And if you, too, have questions, if you, too, don't have answers, I want you to know this is a place you can find them, and I promise you the Spirit will use that testimony much more then he'll use a memorized outline. We leave here today, and I hope you rejoice with me in here, we leave here today with hope. We don't leave here and say we have it all figured out. You know why? That would make our heart upright. We don't leave here and say, I don't know what God's going to do with tomorrow. I'm not sure. He's just as shocked as you are about what happened. Nope, nope, that's not us. It's not us when we say, you know what, I have all the answers. Let me give you all the answers about the Bible and all of these things. And uh, you all live in Oak Ridge. It's a very cerebral place. These are some intelligent, super smart people. But the truth is, it won't be making your case with those things that bring them to the gospel. It will be you saying, hey, you know what? There's things we don't know, but there are things we do know. It will be those things that will power what happens in your life and so hope is that moment we are privileged with the opportunity to be people who know so we're getting ready to have another week before we have another sunday sunday to sunday right it would be real easy for us to forget about this hope because we'll leave this door and we'll face something that's going on and we'll say i have no idea what in the world is going on and we will forget about the peace that's given by the god who is in control let's not do it Let's take Psalm 131. It's easy to memorize. I wasn't going to show off, but I memorized it. <laughs> it's an easy one to memorize. And when everything gets shaken, 
climbing up in that lap is all we need. There are moments in life where we face bullies, and guess what? Step across the line, step in the circle, knock the stick off their shoulder. God is not a bully. He is a loving, loving, caring, good God. And if we give him his face, he'll give us his grace. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for just the love we have in you. As we sing today and we rejoice in who you are and what you've done, it is such a privilege to have your presence. It's such a privilege to be in a relationship with you. We do not come here today and we do not sing songs because we have it together. We do not rejoice in what's happening around us because uh, we have all the answers. We do not stand here and sing and celebrate. We do not walk the halls of our workplaces and our homes with a different uh, mindset because of what we have done but uh, who you are and uh, god help us to rejoice in that comfort today to trust your greatness help us to hope in you because you've got this thing under control so just be with us in jesus name amen